0: we mm-hmm. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 174 of x We are one episode short of, a well, a milestone that I don't have anything special planned for, but, uh, a milestone nonetheless. Today, we're sticking with our off-the-beaten-path sort of vibe here, and we're going to be taking a look at just one issue from a, uh, recent, or actually, a miniseries that, at the time of this recording, is still going on. The f- final parts have not yet hit the shelves. Today, we're talking about Modoc, Head Games Number 3. Now, this had an April 2021 cover date. The story is called Chapter 3, The Science Lab That Time Forgot. Written by Jordan Bloom and Patton Oswalt, with art by Scott Hepburn. Cullis Carlos Lopez, led his VC's Travis Lanham. Edits Bisa Amaro White-Sabulski, cover price $3.99. And went on sale February 17th, of 2021. Now, Modoc. MODOK, MODOK, MODOK. I don't know a whole heck of a lot about MODOK. Um, I've, you know, I've of course, read several stories with him in it, but really haven't paid much attention to him. Uh, Of late, he seems to be one of those sort of LOL random characters, and uh, I don't know, I run hot and cold and that sort of thing. You guys know that. But uh, I did learn something uh, in writing my notes for this episode here that MODOK is going to be... uh, The latest in the uh, casualties of uh, Google-ability for comic book characters Because if you Google Modoc, it brings up like a Disney Plus or a Hulu series So uh, if anybody wants to actually research the comic book version of Modoc, It's going to be more and more difficult as we uh, move on here Because uh, I'm pretty sure... Marvel probably doesn't care that there's a comic book with M.O.D.O.K. in it. It's just all about whatever uh, live action or cartoon or CGI, whatever. however they're making this show. That's going to be their focus and their uh, priority, and I mean, that makes sense. But today we're not talking about that, and, uh, well, we will never talk about that because whatever it is, I'm not going to see it. Now, before we get started... Um, Those of you with eagle ears may have heard that Patton Oswalt is one of the writers of this comic here I haven't read much of his work here And, of course, he is uh, much more well-known as a comedian and an actor Uh, But I do remember reading something of his Boy, almost, I forget, it might have been longer than 20 years ago It was a DC comic, a a prestige format Justice League story Uh, Welcome to the Working Week And I remember the guys at the comic shop really hyping this thing up And, I mean, I was a completionist at the time, and I guess I still kind of am. I still buy Justice League, despite the fact that I haven't read it in, like, three years. But uh, I bought it, and uh, I didn't care for it. I really didn't care for it. A few years later, I'd read a short in the Bizarro Comics uh, collection where uh, Oswald basically makes the uh, Jingle Bells Batman Smells story into uh, canon, and I thought that was very clever and, uh, and really, really well done. So... My batting average with uh, with him is like a 500 right now, so we will see how things go with Modoc here. Um, now, this is a comic that I actually bought a variant cover of here, which I never do. I never do unless it's like the only copy left, and it's a book I've been, you know, trying to search down for ages. I don't usually go for the variant here, but this variant is a lot nicer than the actual comic cover here. The main comic cover has like has Gwenpool, uh, spoiler alert, Gwenpool's in this issue, uh, drilling a hole into Modok's brain and it's uh, a little off putting. But uh, the one that I wound up getting is basically a Modok charging at us with a Gwenpool in front of him with her nunchucks out and stuff. It's a really really cool looking cover. So let's get inside this thing here. We open with a full page spread of ketchup and cred. And our catch up here, we're going to try to navigate this together. I have not read the first two issues of this miniseries, but I don't think we actually have to, in order to get the uh, full xplastidness of this issue here. So let's catch up. Modok, he's on the run from AIM, so maybe he's no longer a bad guy, or at least he's not the bad guy of this story. Now Modok's been having visions of having a family who he can't remember. He'd go to Iron Man for some help figuring this all out, and together they would infiltrate the Criminal, criminal Technology Show Expo. A show expo. Uh, in order to steal back some Stark Whiz tech in order to repair some mysterious and damaged hardware found in MODOK's makeup. Tony and MODOK were able to deduce that the source of this weird hardware to the place where the original MODOK with a C experiments took place in a place called Boca Caliente and. Uh, I'm guessing Modoc with a C does not stand for Missouri Department of Corrections. Um, actually, no. We know what it stands for here. Modoc with a K stands for Mental Organism Designed Only for Killing. Modoc with a C stands for Mental Organism Designed Only for Computing. You see, when he was created or altered into this form by AIM, his purpose was to compute. He, you know, analyzing the cosmic cube you know, specifically. He would eventually turn on his masters and change the C to a K. You know, it's phonetically the same, so it's all good. There's also a woman named uh, Monica Rapazzini, Rapazzina? Rappi- Rappa something, who is after MODOK, but I don't think we see her at all during this issue, so I'm not going to do all that much digging into who or what she is. What we're going to mostly be focusing on here is MODOK's visions of having a family. And with that out of the way, let's get into the story. We open on Krakoa, where Gwenpool is arguing with the island itself. You see, she found out there's an aim bounty on Modok's head, and would really appreciate it if Krakoa would open up a you know, gateway to the Caribbean so that she can do some stabbing and eventually some cash collecting. Now, Skids happens upon Gwen uh, arguing with the island and threatening the island with a pink weed whacker, and she tries to get to the bottom of all of this. Gwen tells her what's up, to which Skids posits that, uh, well, she thought Ms. Poole was no longer in the mercenary game. And Gwen's all, well, excuse me for being inconsistent. Then, on the subject of inconsistency, Gwen tosses it back in Skids' face. She asks her, like, hey, weren't you, like, originally a Madonna pastiche? And when she says this, she's holding up a little piece of oak tag with an editorial note on it, directing us back to X-Factor, Volume 1, Number 7. Next panel, she says, hey, you know, Skids, you were also a terrorist at one point here. Now she's holding a larger piece of oak tag with the added note directing us to read New Mutants, volume 1, number 77. Then, Skids was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. The oak tag now includes a note directing us to Uncanny X-Men, volume 1, number 487. She then congratulates Skids on being dusted off for this cameo and suggests that maybe now Hickman will put her in a chart. Good God, Gwenpool speaks my language better than I do. Holy cow. Now Skids suggests that Gwen just ask Krakoa to open the portal in Krakoa, and so Gwen calls for a font change to uh, Krakoa Three specifically, and says a bunch of stuff that I don't have the time nor interest in translating. Whatever the case, it does the trick, and Gwen hops through the gateway. We close the scene with Cyclops sauntering up and asking what's going on, to which Skids says she wants a new gig on the island. So, very very fun opening scene. I really uh, I really dug this. Now we hop over to Boca Caliente, where Modoc is hacking and sawing through a bunch of trees and foliage, trying to get to the site where he, as ordinary George Tarleton, was unmade into Modoc. He busts his way into the lab, and he finds himself swarmed by some bestial Modoc alikes We've got a bird, a lizard, a pig, a sloth, an owl, a couple more nebulous horrors I can't really tell the origins of. Modoc's surrounded, and our narration changes to Gwen's, who is watching this all play out. And she basically gives us the play-by-play of the fight. Modoc beats up the beasties while narrating a bit about these strange visions of having a family. He recalls buying his wife Jody an Audubon print for their first anniversary. He remembers his kids, Lou and Melissa, laughing during a vacation. He remembers being really, really excited about buying a stupid little yellow house, and, uh... It's all kinds of heartbreaking here, I'm... (laughs) These are feelings I shouldn't be having toward MODOK. Then, Gwenpool leaps into the fray, trying out a few new catchphrases along the way. Think like Gwenpool versions of Avengers Assemble or Titans Together, stuff like that. Or God forbid, to me my X-Men. They fight, and Gwen hurls some shuriken at MODOK, which drives him back to the machine where the MODOK, with a C, experiment occurred. And it's still online. MODOK flashes back to when AIM forced him, as ordinary George, into the apparatus. The flashback tells us that George did not want to do this, but MODOK's narration corrects that, claiming that George chose this life. Gwen aims a bazooka at MODOK, but before she can squeeze the trigger, an AIM Disc lands at her feet. This causes a whole bunch of metal debris and pots to come crashing to the ground. MODOK tells Gwen he don't got time for this. He demands she stop fighting him because he needs to know if they are real. Unfortunately, at this point, Gwen's already thrown an explosive sword in his direction. Before it explodes, she's like, wait, who's real? She wants to know who's real, but it's too late. The sword goes boom, and Modok is... well, he's dead. Modok is dead. Now, as Modok lay in pieces, images are projected from his head. Gwen sees the visions of Modok's family and she turns to us and laments the fact that they're humanizing him. And, like I said, she speaks my language better than I do. It's here that Gwen has the sad realization that she is not the star of this book. She's a guest star in MODOK's book, and, well, uh... kind of sucks because she just killed him. So, it's time for some of our patented Gwenpool white space magic. She climbs out of the panel and walks over to a spinner rack, all the while talking about how characters evolve. She comments that she herself reverted back to type here as just a jokey mercenary Being inconsistent with the way that she's you know, grown over the years So uh, here she ponders why couldn't MODOK evolve and change as well Gwen pulls this very issue off the rack with the uh, regular kind of uh, cover She opens it to the page where she kills MODOK And comments that uh, dude was acting all sorts of human And so she decides to fix this By uh, well, She starts by drawing a dotted line Down the edge of the page Which is actually in this very comic We're all undoubtedly holding in our hands Right this very minute She then instructs we loyal readers To grab a pair of scissors And begin cutting down that dotted line Thus removing the page from continuity Also totally killing This sure-to-be collector's item That we're holding Or maybe just making a pristine copy Even more valuable She also suggests that and, you know, while we're at it here, if we're worried about value, maybe, maybe go buy a couple dozens of the issue for good measure. From here, we pop into Modoc's head for a bit, and he's Skyping or Zooming or Marvel proprietary video chatting with his family. It's his son's birthday, and he can't be there as his flight had been canceled. He then decides, screw it, he'll just drive the eight hours to be home with his family. He promises them that he'll always find his way back. Then he wakes up and we were back before he went boom. Gwen is Marvel-proprietarily video-chatting with Forge back on Krakoa about how to extract memories from MODOK. Forge tells her to just open a trouble ticket and stop calling him. Gwen then tells MODOK that she found something out that he might be able to use. The person responsible for MODOK's code is someone called the Founder. Gwen doesn't have a real name for the fella, but does have an address. 5358 Towner Avenue, Butteville, Ohio. Sadly, not a real, actual address. Uh, there's no Butterville in Ohio. There is a Butlerville, but uh, probably no relation. Modoc vows to head there, but first he wants to present Gwen with a reward. And that reward is uh, permission to live. He's not going to kill her today. Modoc leaves the lab, zapping the hell out of Sloth Dock on the way out. Later, we arrive in Butterville, where Modoc is scooting down an idyllic neighborhood road. All the people walking by wave to him Which rather surprises him Because, uh, hey, shouldn't they be cowering in fear? They're not He arrives at 5358 Town of Ev Where he finds a man in the backyard Wearing a beekeeper outfit And no, I'm not joking about the AIM uniform Looking like a beekeeper outfit This is actually a guy in a beekeeper outfit Though, I'm guessing that's probably kind of the joke here We're on layers upon layers here, right? Wheels upon wheels I don't know. Whatever the case, this fella unmasks, revealing himself to be the founder. Aim Agent 001, Alvin Tarleton, MODOK's actual father. And that's where we leave it. Next episode for our Milestone 175th show, we're going to be taking a look at an issue of Hellions. So uh, that's always a good thing, but uh, that's for next time. So let's talk about MODOK. Let's talk about this issue of Modoc that I went into expecting to hate <laughs> And I absolutely did not I thought this was very, very fun here um, It's so weird uh, doing this show and focusing so heavily on the X-Men books And then when we get this these, these sort of like respites, you know, where, or reprieve maybe Where we can branch out into the wider Marvel Universe I find that I'm enjoying those books a lot more Maybe it just Maybe it's less pressure, I don't know but uh, reading things like Modoc or Runaways or The Champions or uh, Black Cat or something, it's just so much fun. And, it, and these are all books that I'm going into expecting not to like. And uh, I don't know if it says anything about my expectations or what, but I'm having a lot of fun. Uh, sort of spread my wings here without really committing to, uh, to doing so. So it's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun here. Um, this issue here... We have a few takeaways, right? First, we have Modoc being treated in a... Or being displayed in, like, a sympathetic light here. Which, you know, as we were starting this, I saw that that was the angle they were going to go, and I decided right then and there to hate it. I decided, I'm like, okay, no. No, we can't do this. But then, I mean, just a page or two later, I was all about it. This uh, really, really worked well here. And uh, I, I might... I mean, if I can discover... Several more hours of the day uh, i will I might just actually pick up the rest of this mini series here because this this was a lot of fun and it's self contained so it'll be uh it'll be quick and painless so i won't have to worry about picking up Skatey eight hundred books to keep up with it. I also appreciate the fact that uh, we only read this issue or I only read this issue this is the third issue of either four or five issues of a mini series and uh i didn't feel lost uh the Catch-up page was a, a very brief paragraph just explaining What was going on here, not pages and pages Of data and text, it was just A brief paragraph saying this is where we were This is where we're going, and it was enough It was really enough for me to uh, to Glom onto it and to not Feel like I was, you know, just swaying In the breeze here, Modoc having These visions of a family is uh, Like I said during the synopsis It's fairly heartbreaking um, I don't know much about his time as George Tarleton. I don't know if he had a family. I don't know how he was depicted. I'm sure I've read his first appearance ages ago, probably in a in an Essentials volume somewhere, but I couldn't tell you much about it right now as I'm sitting here. And I figured it'd be kind of a cheat if I would just go to his Wikipedia page and read about it. I did go there just to find out what the Modoc with a C was, though. That I that I will uh, I will concede that. But uh, these memories of his are. Uh, Fairly fascinating here And I I love the juxtaposition here Of Gwen just going nuts, right? And him just trying to remember these things And the way they blended the two Was really, really well done here And it was a wonderful use of Gwen's gimmick Um, There aren't very many Gwenpool books out these days, right? We had that miniseries that we covered back in the day But uh, she doesn't really show up all that often So it's nice every time we get to see her And we get a reminder of her powers here because I was worried that maybe she wouldn't have these white space um, abilities anymore after she was uh, after she retconned herself into being a mutant at the end of *Strikes Back*. I thought maybe I thought maybe she wouldn't have these abilities anymore, but she does. She does, and the way that they had her literally cut a page out of the comic was perfect because. You know, when you plan something like this, it's fairly ambitious, and uh, but but it's also very simple. And I remember with—not not, not a gimmick just like this here, but there have been gimmicks in comics where pagination matters, right? Where it matters what pages are facing which pages and which pages are back-to-back with pages. And it feels like nine times out of ten, they screw it up. So this time here, the front of the page is the first one with the dots going down the line you turn that page over and you have the dots going down that line too so literally you could cut along that dotted line and remove the entire death of modok from your comic if you so desired <laughs> or if you were if you are uh, you know following uh, gwenpool's uh, commands just so well done and i hope when they put this in a trade collection that they don't they don't goof it up i hope they have it the way it's supposed to be paginated front to back here i cuz it would really really take a lot away if they uh If they goof that up, but again, I mean, flip a coin. (laughs) Who could even know? Um, Now, let's talk uh, Krakoa. We got a Krakoa mention at the beginning here, and we get uh, a little bit of a a nudge to the ribs here for the Hickman way here, the Hickman style, as as we've been calling it here. Uh, Gwen telling Skids that, like, hey, you made it. You got a cameo. Now, maybe you'll wind up on a chart somewhere. Hilarious. Hilarious on so many levels because, I mean, if you've listened to this show, you know that I've made many, many comments about charts and info pages and the like um, since day one. So uh, seeing Gwen, you know, throw a little, I think i think the kids say throw a little shade. I mean, it's all in fun, of course. But uh, to see that is is very, very funny to me. I, I liked it a whole lot. The art here was very enjoyable as well. I liked it a lot. I'm saying a lot, a lot today. I apologize for that. Um, you just never know when you're going into a miniseries here Art can be uh, an afterthought or it can be at the forefront And here it was Aces, I, I really dug it Really good looking book, really fun book, a funny book um, It's uh, it's nudging my Patton Oswalt average up Because <laughs> uh, we've got two stories of his that I've liked And, and one that was eh, maybe not so great back uh, around the turn of the century here But if you are a fan or completionist of MODOK, well, then you're going to need this in your collection. And uh, if you're that, you probably already have it in your collection. If you're a Gwenpool fan and or completionist, you're going to need this as well here. It's it's always so nice to see Gwen show up here. It seems like... Uh, Seems like we just don't get to see her quite as often as I'd like to. We gotta we gotta get that uh that petition going here to get her into X Factor here. We know Lorna is gonna be leaving X Factor to join the X Men. Or actually we don't know if she's leaving X Factor. She might be she might be serving double duty for all we know. A lot of a lot of the X characters do that. But if she does leave, I think we gotta we gotta slip in Gwen's name into the consideration to replace her there. Get her on a team, get her in a book that we see every month, or most months. So just just give us some more Gwenpool, is what I'm trying to say here. Um, overall, had a blast with this one. This is like a day off for me here. I had so much fun with it, and I think many of you out there will as well. I highly, highly recommend it. But uh, that's all I got to say about this issue here. Um, We don't have any mail. I I don't get mail anymore. It's kind of uh, just the way things go these days. So I do want to go over to the uh, Facebook page here. I had asked a question a few, like a week ago. Uh, I showed off my very first X-Men book, which I've said a few times here on the air, was X-Men Volume 2 Number 13, the highly sought-after second appearance of Hazard. Yeah, Hazard, you, you guys know Hazard, right? He's a fantastic character, I don't know um, Yes, that was my first issue of X-Men That I bought, it jumped off the shelf at me And it was like, oh, I gotta have this I didn't know many of the characters But it was just like, oh, I, I need this And that's more or less where the sickness began So I asked the question, hey, where did you guys start? Where, where was your first X-Book? What was the book that you picked up that made you want to read this stuff more? And I do have some answers here and uh, we have Evan Bevins, who says that his first was e- was classic X Men number fourteen. He says uh, he said this was uh, his first one, but he was introduced to the X Men characters via the Spider Man and his amazing friends cartoon, which is one of those blind spots I have. I've I've seen a few episodes of it. I know I was watching it in the hospital when my mother was giving birth to my sister, so that was like 1984. Or so I remember watching it in the waiting room Of the hospital that morning But uh, I didn't uh, I couldn't tell you which episode it was I couldn't tell you anything about it But uh, Evan says that that's where he first saw the X-Men But the first X-Men comic he bought Was classic X-Men Number 14 which uh, reprints I think it was the first appearance Of the Starjammers From very early in the Claremont run Our friend Ed Moore, he gives us Uncanny X-Men number 120... Actually, it would just be X-Men. It says Uncanny on the cover, but it wasn't officially changed yet. So it was X-Men 128 here. I believe this is part... It might be part of the Proteus story here. Uh, It's got a cover where where reality is being warped all over the place here. We got Maura McTaggart on the cover here. And it's funny, I mentioned when I saw this one that... uh, I actually saw this in a used bookstore, the very same issue, like maybe a month or two ago for like $5. And it's like, oh man, I snapped it right up. And then as I'm walking toward the counter, I noticed that uh, the cover was moving, you know, inside the bag. It's like, oh wait, that that's weird here. Maybe the staples are loose something. No, the cover was just missing, so I put it back. <laughs> I, I'll, take, I'll take some scrubby books, but uh, when the cover's not attached, that's when I... That's my uh, my tipping point for not picking up <laughs> those books. Uh, Jeremiah says uh, that his brother bought X-Men, and he read his copies. And the first one was Uncanny X-Men number 225. It was during the Fall of the Mutants, and he says that's the earliest X-Men stories that he remembers. Al Sedano says that his was Uncanny X-Men number 225. Not too long after Jeremiah's here, this is also Fall of the Mutants. And uh, that was the first one he bought off the rack uh, Joe Croft, it has X-Men, Uncanny X-Men number 169 It has a very, very striking cover here You'll know it if you see it here It has uh, Angel down in the subway with his wings pinned to uh, to like this altar of sorts here It's a really, really striking cover for sure It's uh, definitely one that you'll remember when you see it uh, Jody Yarden, his was... X-Men volume 2 number 13 <laughs> That's the one that we discovered that, uh, during a recording session that we had the same first issue. Somehow, the landmark number 13 with, uh, the second appearance of Hazard. I don't know how the two of us started with that, but, uh, we did. <laughs> we did. Finally, our friend D-Ron revealed that his first issue was X-Men number 141, which, uh, that one might have an iconic cover, huh? The first part of Days of Future Past. He uh, he found it on a spinner rack and uh, was lucky enough to snag it right there. So that's really really cool stuff here. I'd like to invite anyone listening to uh, to share your first. Where did you start? What what hooked you? Why'd you pick the why you pick a certain issue up? Why did I pick up the second appearance of Hazard? I the the cover looked cool. <laughs> I couldn't tell you anything special about it. It just looked. cool. Cool. And uh, I mean, that's kind of a, a silly answer, but uh, I'm kind of a uh, silly guy. So, if you'd like to reach out and uh, share your firsts or just share anything you want, please feel free to do so. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you can shoot me an email over to Weird Comics History at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisoninfiniteearth.com. Again that Facebook group is 90s X-Men on Facebook. There's also 90s X-Men on Instagram. I think I posted one thing there. I think I posted the cover art to the first episode of this program there. So uh, if you want to see that for the 100th time, it's it's there waiting for you. 90s X-Men on Instagram. Uh, Finally, if you'd like to uh, listen to anything from the Chris and Reggie audio archives Please visit chrisandreggie.podbean.com It's available anywhere they aggregate noise and or sound But that'll do it for today I would like to thank you all so much for listening And letting me monopolize some of your minutes today And uh, until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon See ya!